We are still on the third commandment this morning, but our scripture passage comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. Before we uh, read God's holy word, let us pray and ask for God to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you promise us that your word does not return to you void, but shall accomplish that which you purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which you sent it. Therefore, we ask you to use your word this day to edify your church, convict us of our sin, encourage us in Jesus Christ, strengthen us in your service by the power of your spirit, Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for the sake of your great name, for we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Dearly beloved, hear the word of the Lord. It is written. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As we've already said, each commandment in the Ten Commandments has both negative applications and positive applications. Hopefully you've been seeing this in the treatment of the commandments in the Westminster catechisms as well as in our preaching. Over the past two weeks, we've covered some of the negative applications of the third commandment. So this morning, I want to focus on some of the positive applications of this commandment. The commandment instructs us not to misuse the name of the Lord. But we should not understand that to mean that we shouldn't use the name of the Lord. In fact, God gives us his name in order that we may use it. And we should recognize that the gift of his name given to us is a tremendous blessing, as I hope we will see this morning. 
We're reminded as we begin this morning of the revelation of God's name in Exodus 3 and the encounter that Moses had with God at the burning bush. When Moses asked God what he should say, if asked to send him, God responded, I am who I am, Yahweh. And God continued, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And we know that Jesus claimed to be the same Lord who was revealed in the burning bush. You can go back and listen to Pastor John's sermon from several weeks ago on the revelation of the name of God, where he goes through several places where Jesus makes this claim. It's especially prominent in the Gospel of John. For instance, in chapter 8, in a discussion with some Jews who were questioning him about Abraham, Jesus states, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And this claim that Jesus is the great I am is vindicated in his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of God. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us from Philippians 2, that Jesus, taking on human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord." to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, we know that when we see in the New Testament all the references to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is a name that is equal in authority to the name of God revealed in Exodus 3 because Jesus is the very same God. If we were to go through these references to the name of Jesus, we would see that in this name, There are blessings and power. Our passage this morning from Acts, which is a strange little story even for Acts, gives us some insight into these things. Throughout Acts, we have seen the apostles spreading the name of Jesus, encouraging people to put their faith in the name of Jesus, to be baptized into the name of Jesus. Acts tells us that they were speaking and teaching in his name, but not just this, they were doing many miracles in his name. Diseases were healed, evil spirits were exorcised, the dead were brought back to life. All of the things that Jesus had taught his disciples to do and given them the authority to do in his name. So we have, for instance, the story I shared with the children this morning from Acts 3. Peter, in the name of Jesus Christ, instructs this man to stand and walk, and he does. And then scripture tells us that the people were amazed by this miracle. They began crowding around. So Peter uses this as a providential opportunity to then tell them about Jesus. And Peter tells them that it was the holy and righteous one, the author of life who was killed and raised from the dead. And then Peter says this, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this 
man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. In other words, it wasn't our power that healed this man. The power is in Jesus, who is God and who makes himself accessible to those who call on him in faith. So Christians began to become known as those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. And our text from Acts 19 shows that people, even non-Christians, had realized that there is power in the name of Jesus, that there's something to calling on the name of Jesus, even if they didn't fully understand it. But even believers, we are told, were amazed at what calling on the name of Jesus accomplished. Luke ten seventeen recounts for us that when the 72 that Jesus had sent out returned to him, they returned exclaiming, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Acts 19 also teaches us, though, some very valuable lessons about using the name of Jesus properly. It reveals to us that using the name of the Lord is not a magical incantation. The efficacy of the power and blessing contained in the name is not mechanical. In other words, just because we use God's name does not mean that it will be effective to accomplish what we seek after. The seven sons of the Jewish high priest, Siva, who are described here as itinerant Jewish exorcists, discover this truth when they try to exorcise a demon from a man by invoking the name of Jesus, as they say, whom Paul proclaims. And the demon responds that he knows Jesus and knows Paul, but not them. The scriptures reveal that this botched exorcism goes seriously sideways for these exorcists. After that, they're beaten and humiliated and flee from that place, we are told, naked and wounded. It's a warning to all who invoke the name of the Lord improperly. So what is it to use the name of the Lord rightly? I want to give four ways Scripture has called us to use the name of the Lord. First, the Lord has given us his name that we might call on him and be saved, that we call on his name for salvation. The people of God had for generations called on the Lord's name for deliverance, but the Apostle Paul lays out clearly for us in Romans 10 what it takes to be saved from sin in the just punishment for that sin in light of who God has revealed himself to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then he states, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for, this, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There are riches for all who call on his name, Paul says. It's the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ, who has the only name by which we might be saved. But notice what that means here. 
saying that you believe in Jesus is not a magical incantation. Is it isn't some kind of spell that we can utter to charm God into saving us? Calling on the name of Jesus means humbly and repentantly crying out to God, seeking deliverance from him, acknowledging our need for him to save us, and trusting in the sacrificial death of Jesus to make atonement for our sins, and in his resurrection to have the power to give us new life. To put it differently, what we say with our mouths must be an expression of the posture of our hearts before God. But the sons of Siva hadn't called on the name of the Lord to be saved by him. They were simply trying to use his name for their own glory without actually bowing their hearts to him as their Lord. A God will not be used nor manipulated, though. Calling on the name of the Lord is not like rubbing a genie's bottle. The power accessible in calling on his name is not granted to just anyone for any reason. But in the end, God was glorified in Ephesus through this incident. You see, Ephesus was the center of magical practice. People believed in the power of magic. And in speaking gibberish words and names in a pattern to create what they thought were potent spells. But through this exorcism gone wrong, many in Ephesus who had committed themselves to dark magic realized the bankruptcy of their practices. They realized that the real power was in the name of the Lord, calling on the name of the Lord in faith. And so they confessed and repented of believing in their magic and superstition and for trying to use it for their own ends. And they burned their books on magic and they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Now the story challenges us to consider what we really mean when we say that we believe in Jesus. You could have asked me as a teenager if I was a Christian and I would have responded, of course I'm a Christian. I was raised going to church. I believe in Jesus. But the truth was, I didn't place my faith in Jesus as the Lord of my life until I was 16. Before that time, using the name of Jesus, claiming his name to me was no more than a get-out-of-hell-free spell. I could utter the words in the right order, and magically I was safe from the eternal punishment my sin deserved. But Jesus wasn't a name I prayed to, wasn't a name I worshiped, wasn't a name I bowed my knees before. At the age of 16, though, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, my eyes were opened to the reality of who Jesus is and what he had done for me. And I did truly call on the name of the Lord and began bowing my heart and my knees before him as my Lord and Savior because I realized that in him was the power of salvation because he is the sinless one that had taken the punishment of my sin and set me right before God that I might be freed from my sin and death and raised to new life to live a life pleasing to God. I realized that I desperately needed him because I was incapable of saving myself. And this is a recognition 
that is needed of us to truly call on the name of the Lord to deliver us from sin and death. A recognition is needed that not the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is our sin until we realize that we are powerless. We are incapable of truly calling on the name of the Lord for our salvation. We are powerless to save ourselves. We are powerless to heal ourselves. We are powerless to provide for ourselves. But there is power in the name of the Lord. And we see this as early as Genesis 4. Verse 25 and following says this, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, remember what I said last week, a name to the Hebrews is not something you have, but something you are. And you might have picked up that the name Seth sounded like the Hebrew for he appointed because this is who Seth was. But the text doesn't tell us the name, the meaning of the name Enosh, but actually it hints at it. It comes from a verb which means both weak and social. In other words, because we are weak as individuals, we do things in groups where there are strength in numbers. From this verb, the noun for mankind or humanity is born because this is what people are, weak and social beings. Pretty interesting. And now pay attention to the very next sentence. Seth has a son who is named Enosh, whose name describes all of humanity as weak in social beings. And the very next line is, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. I really doubt that the name Enosh and this first mention of calling on the name of the Lord are unrelated. There's a recognition here that we are weak and mortal beings and have been made to rely on the Lord, to depend on him, to be in relationship with him, and to offer him our worship and our praise. Dearly beloved, we need to examine ourselves at this point. Have we acknowledged our weakness to save ourselves? Have we cast ourselves at the feet of Jesus Christ? Have we not only confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior with our mouths, but have we also bowed our knees and our hearts before him in faith, trusting in his sacrificial death on the cross for us and for the atonement of our sins? Remember that Jesus himself says that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be saved. So the Apostle Paul encourages the Christians in Corinth to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. We all need to heed this call for examination. Do you truly have faith? Is there evidence that you are not only confessing Jesus as Lord with your tongue, but truly submitting your life to him? If not, I want to encourage you. I want to plead with you to stop fooling yourself to stop believing that you can use the name of Jesus as a spell to appease God as you continue to live in sin, to stop believing that you can save yourself, to stop 
trying to justify yourself before the Lord by being good enough or working hard enough. Cast yourself at his feet. Confess that you are powerless. Place your faith in his power and rest in his grace. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus for your salvation. And when we bow to him as Lord and call on his name for deliverance, we very naturally begin to call on him in prayer. So second, we call on the name of the Lord in prayer. We aren't just helpless for our salvation. We realize that we are utterly dependent on God for everything. Just as a young child is dependent upon their parents for their every need, so we are with our Heavenly Father. And God desires for us to come to him in prayer, to seek him through prayer, to thank him for the abundance of his love and his grace and his provision, to share with him our deepest longings, to give to him our troubles and anxieties, to ask for his help and his mercy. And so scripture is full of encouragement to pray. We find this especially in the Psalms where David says, I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my words. The Psalms promise us that God regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. And that the Lord is near to all who call upon him, all who call on him in truth. And we find in Jesus a demonstration of one who is faithful in prayer. Throughout the Gospels, we not only find him turning to his heavenly father in prayer and confessing his dependence on his heavenly father, but we find him teaching his followers to do likewise. He tells his disciples to pray and he gives to them the Lord's prayer. He tells them to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, he continues, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus encourages his disciples to ask for what they need in his name. And in the parables, he instructed them to be persistent in their prayers. But again, calling on the name of the Lord in prayer and asking for things of the Lord in prayer is not mechanical. With as many times as we find people calling on the Lord to bring healing or to cast out a demon with success, we have stories like this one in Acts 19. Just because the sons of Sceva called on the name of the Lord does not mean that God heard their cry and would honor their request. In fact, scripture teaches us that God does not even listen to the prayers of the wicked. What these men had done had not been done in faith, nor was it revealed to be in accordance with God's will. The name of the Lord, as we have said, was glorified and God's kingdom was advanced through the exorcist failure rather than their success. We learn through the story that just as we aren't uttering a magical incantation when we believe in Jesus, we likewise aren't uttering a magical incantation when we pray. Again, God will not be manipulated. 
So James tells us you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Of course, even when we pray in faith for someone else or for ourselves, Scripture does not promise us that God will always answer our prayers in the manner that we would like. Even in Scripture, Paul prayed to have the thorn in his side removed. God heard his prayer but did not remove his burden. The people of God don't always get what they request. But God had a purpose for that thorn in Paul's life. Therefore, God's people aren't immune from suffering even when they ask for it to be removed through prayer. And yet, and yet, the Bible teaches us to be faithful in prayer. We're called to confess our sins to God knowing that God is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promises us that. We're called to bring those who are sick to the elders of the church that they might pray over them in the name of the Lord. We're called to cast all of our anxieties onto the Lord because he cares for us. We're called to be constant in prayer and to give thanks in all circumstances because this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And what we discover about prayer is that the power of prayer lies not in getting what we ask of God. The power is in receiving the presence of God himself through prayer. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The power is in the presence of God. But we don't just call on the Lord in prayer. We also lift high the name of the Lord in worship. So thirdly, God has given us his name that we might worship him rightly and that his name might be exalted among us. In fact, in so many instances in scripture, calling on the name of God means very specifically to seek the Lord in public worship. For instance, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem and placed in the tent that had been prepared for it, David broke into song and dance. And he sung, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all of his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. David is calling the people of God to worship God. He knew that the proper response to who God had revealed himself to be as our creator, sustainer, and redeemer was to worship God. He knew that God desires for us to gather and exalt his name together, recounting his mighty deeds and giving thanks for his goodness and his faithfulness. Likewise, Psalm 50, 15 states, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God delivers us from our sin. He makes himself available to us in prayer. Our proper response should be to praise him, to worship him, to exalt his name because, well, that's something you do when you find something or someone that your heart adores. It's something that we do when we are filled with gratitude. We offer up our praise. Don't you do this? Don't you find, when you find something that you just love, you want to sing its praises. You want to tell your friends all about it. 
For those of you who are married, I bet you loved to talk about your spouse when you first met him or her. I bet you gushed on and on about him or her to your friends. I hope you still do that. Or we find a product that we think is just so wonderful and we want to tell others about it. We get on the website where the product is being sold and we write a five-star review. Just as much, no more than. More than your spouse is worthy of your praise. The college you attended is worthy of your praise. The pair of jeans that fits just right is worthy of your praise. That new car is worthy of your praise. God is infinitely, infinitely more worthy of our praise. We were created by him to worship. This is why we find it so natural to sing praise. We have to make sure that our praise is aimed in the right direction. Dearly beloved, we don't worship an unknown God as the Apostle Paul found the Athenians doing. Paul tells them, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he, is, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And then Paul says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We are instructed to call upon the name of the Lord to worship this God whom we know because he has revealed himself to us, especially in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you giving him your worship? Are you singing his praise? Are you exalting his name? And when we lift high the name of the Lord in worship, we also want to spread his name that others might worship him as well. So lastly, we are called to spread the name of the Lord. What is one of our goals in singing praises to others about the person or thing that our heart adores? Well, we want them to enjoy that person or thing as well. And when we adore the Lord, we want others to experience the blessing that is found in the name of the Lord. We want others to know the salvation that is found in the sweet, sweet name of Jesus Christ. We want others to know that they, that they have one who draws near to them and who hears their prayers that they call upon his name in faith. We want others to worship God, to exalt his name together with us because he is worthy of all of our praise and adoration. He is worthy of all the glory. Psalm 86 says this, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. 
And again, in Psalm 96, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord. O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. It is through God's people and her reverent, faithful worship of him that God's name is exalted in all the earth. And it is God's will that his people are sent, propelled from worship into the world to bring others to worship him as well. The word of God tells us that when that he will be worshiped among the nations and we are the means by which God accomplishes this. How will they know? of our great God unless we tell them. How are you doing with this? Are you as eager to tell your friends and neighbors and coworkers about the Lord as you are to tell them about that new restaurant you tried last week? Dearly beloved, don't be afraid. There is power in the name of Jesus. God has given us his name. We mustn't misuse it but it would be a shame not to use it at all. There are blessings in his name. There is power in his name. Thanks be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray together. Oh, great God, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself to us, especially in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. And in him, we have the name by which we are to be saved. For there is no name in heaven or on earth or under the earth that is greater than the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that in our living, that his name would be exalted among us. He would be lifted high. And that he would draw all people to himself through the exaltation of his name that is in our mouths and is lived out in our lives. For we pray this in his name. Amen. In response to the word of God, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Philippian Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted.